Hello there, and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Now, today's guest is a very successful young Irish writer and columnist, actress, perhaps best known as the creator and writer of the comedy drama Can't Cope, Won't Cope. It's a pleasure to welcome Stephanie Prizer. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Your first musical choice is from your childhood and, and we'll come to the song presently, but I read a couple of interviews you did about where you grew up in Mallow, County Cork, and one of the interviews, Stephanie, had been done on the day you did a book signing there and you clearly felt so much love and support from your community there. So tell us about growing up in Mallow with your mum. Oh yeah, that was amazing. That day that I did the interview. So, you know, those days where you're like just bursting with like joy and you feel so loved. I think people feel it like on their wedding days or their 21st birthday when everyone is around just for you. It was amazing. But yeah, I grew up in Mallow. I was actually born in Germany and then lived there for a few years and then when my parents got divorced we moved back to Dublin initially because that's where my mom is from and uh, then she got a job down with my uncle in Mallow so we blew into Mallow and uh, we were we were kind of blow-ins for a while like it kind of took a, a minute before we felt like um, we were you know like part of the town but yeah. my mom really bedded in by she opened a news agents down there so I think the person who sells people their papers after mass on a Sunday very quickly becomes part of the community and she did and um I had really great friends in um in my school actually my one of my best friends we bought her her nana's house which my mum still lives in but she at the time hated me we were in high infants and uh, senior infants and um she was like she fought me for a whole year because I I got rid of her grandfather's vegetable patch because obviously she didn't understand like sale yeah. by private treaty yeah. and yeah. how like home ownership yeah. can transfer. But uh, she's one of my great friends now, and um, yeah, I loved growing up in Mallow. I love and I still love going back there. So you clearly enjoyed it. Did you like school? I loved school, Des. Oh my God, I loved school. I just love rules. I love <laughs> rules and teachers and, and and like structure and knowing what I meant to do and knowing that like I can get 10 out of 10 and that is correct. And, you know, I just loved it. I hated university because there were no rules. I actually kind of hate any situation where, you know, you have to like find yourself or let your hair down, like music festivals or anything that's kind of loosey-goosey. I hate. I just love rules and knowing schedules and timetables and how long is for lunch break. And (laughs) even now, even during these coronavirus times, I'm pretty much living to a schedule, even though there's absolutely no need for it. Um, Were you academically good? Yeah, I was. I was. I tried, but I tried really, like I studied really hard and I always did my homework. I was, I was kind of Hermione Granger, except with a little bit of mischief. Like, so the problem was that the teachers couldn't hate me for being disruptive because I was also getting A's, but I was stopping other children from getting A's because I was like doing my homework very quickly. And then like I, when I'd come home from school, I'd do my homework straight away while I still had my uniform on. I wouldn't let myself take off my uniform until my homework was done. 
And then I'd go out playing with the other kids, but they didn't have their homework done. So then their parents hated me because I'd be distracting them from their homework. But I didn't understand why they couldn't just do it straight away so that we could play. But anyway, um, so the teachers, like, I was kind of, they tolerated me and they rolled their eyes at me. But I, I was a good student, but I was disruptive and distracting to other people. Yeah. Your first musical choice is, is from your, your youth rather than your childhood, I suppose. Boys own. Yeah, I loved Boyzone. And like I've worked now with Keith and I still get a little bit starstruck when I work with him, but I was obsessed with Boyzone and I'm an only child. And so a lot of the, I guess, the, the templates for how to behave in the world I got from things like music videos or Sabrina the Teenage Witch, you know. <laughs> and so I didn't know how long. So I knew that You're the Key to My Heart was this boys own song that I was obsessed with and I watched Stephen Gately rest in peace uh, in the music video kind of having a crush on his teacher right and I had a crush on this on my best friend at the time his name was Brian and um, we we decided anyway we were going to have our first kiss together and I was kind of freaking out and I had no sisters to ask and I had no friends who also had kissed boys so I was like how long is a kiss meant to last so I knew that Stephen Gately was obsessed with this teacher for the duration of that song. So I learned off the song and I decided that I would kiss this boy for the duration of the song <laughs> in my head. So Poor Brian we from Mallow. <laughs> yeah, so, well, now he lives in Clonmel, but uh, he Will moved. stop identifying him? Ah, <laughs> uh, no, he'll be thrilled. We're still in touch. I've actually texted him to tell him I'm telling this story. Right, and uh, so we met up anyway by the Mallow train station. We started kissing and I started singing. And then when the song was over in my head, I stopped kissing him. It's actually the longest kiss I'd say I've ever had in my life. It was way too long. And how was Brian after it all in that romantic setting? Oh, oh he was chuffed to bits. Like I'd say he went and told his friends. Um, but he didn't know that we were kissing for the length of a song. In fact, he still doesn't know that. Well, he might know if he's listening to this. But uh, Mallow has nicer places than the train station as well. It wasn't even the train station. It was like beside the train tracks, like there was this, you know, that kind of green metal fencing that has the triangles at the top yes, of it that, yeah. that are all kind of, sp it was like one of them, like, and there was kind of tato bags and Terry's chocolate orange wrappers <laughs> tossed like a, around. It would have made a, a gritty urban movie. <laughs> yeah, a coming of age movie about yeah. a young girl and a young boy who find love behind the train station. <laughs> so boys own anyway and... Uh, and did you have posters on the wall and all that stuff? I did, yeah. But I, uh, no, I didn't have posters on the wall because I didn't like when they left a mark on the wall. So I used to put them underneath my shelves so that when I was lying in my bed, looking up at my shelves, they were looking down at me. And was Steve, yeah, Stephen have, your favourite? Um, I liked Ronan as well. But then when he started doing covers of Francis Black, I kind of couldn't cope with that. <laughs> And Shane was too kind of bold for me. And Keith was, yeah, I think I really liked Mikey, but he wasn't cool enough to like, so you couldn't admit that you liked him. So it had to be Stephen. Why? Because Mikey was orderly as well, is that it? I don't know. Mikey was just kind of like the soft, good, angelic boy. And it just wasn't cool as a preteen to admit that you liked kind of softness and kindness in a man. <laughs> <laughs> you had to like the bad boy, you know? Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Stephanie, so you loved school and then came college and, and you say you didn't enjoy college that much. No, I didn't. I 
so all my life I wanted to be a guard. My kind of dream in school was to be the first female guard commissioner, <laughs> um, which was obviously ripped out of my hands by Noreen O'Sullivan. Um, so I went to Templemore um, for two weeks because at the time, the way the cycles were working, they were doing intakes um, every few years. So if you if they weren't doing an intake in your leaving cert year, you could do work experience the year before, if you know what I mean. Right. So I went to that work experience thing and um, during that time I got a call from a theatre company that I'd worked with saying that they were doing a new production of Enda Walsh's new play Chatroom and they'd love to cast me in it and would I come and start rehearsals on Monday. And so I left the guards to start rehearsals for that show and I said I'd go back to the guards when the acting kind of stopped. And then kind of it didn't. Um, so I might still go back, but um, I went to college then after that and I studied drama in college and I just didn't like the the freedom of it, I guess, you know. There was only a few hours a week and it was all, you know, tr you know, find what works for you and lying on the floor contemplating, <laughs> you know, like what character you might like to be. I like being told what to do, you know. So um, I struggled with the freedom of college um, and and also being away from home, I'm, I'm kind of soft that way. So um, Had you friends? You had friends I studied drama. I had friends, yeah, but I, I didn't want to go out clubbing and I didn't, I don't like crowds and I don't like loud noises. So like, you know, I have to say, I, I went to a student village and um, I lived in a house with nine other people and uh, I used to ring security when my own house friends, housemates would have a house party and I'd pretend <laughs> that I was a neighbour just so they'd come and shut down the house party. Oh my God. Um, yeah, they didn't know, obviously, that it was me at the time. Um, yeah, so I just I just didn't like the kind of, you know, young people playing around to find out who they are. I just... I, I like just being told what to do and what's expected. But because when I read when I read you talking about how you made and and you are you're mentally very strong to make big decisions in your life etc. But I remember you deciding that no, I'm not going to go out at night time. I'm not going to stray far away. I'm not going. And I was going, God, that's fantastic discipline and all that. But what what do you like as an as how would you like to spend your night as a student rather than the party? Um, you see, I'm kind of I'm crippled with this need to be liked so like I, but I, I don't want to be liked necessarily like it's not that I want to be liked by everyone I decide who I want to like me and then I work to that so I wanted like I wanted to be good and I wanted my lecturers to like me so I would rather have spent my time studying or reading or hanging out with my friends in my car like driving around with one or two friends not really being in crowds and and I like I like talking to people about, you know, kind of about like big issues. Like I'm not great with small talk. Like I'd rather, you know, I like to get into the back of a taxi and be like, so tell me about your marriage problems rather than are you going on any holidays to Santa Ponza, do you know? Um, so yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. Like it, so I'm not, it's not just that I wanted to be academically minded all of the time. I just don't like sort of what I would consider kind of like dangerous situations where things can get out of hand pretty quickly. Well, given that you went to the Edinburgh Festival, I can't think of having to expose yourself more than as one of the world's biggest festivals, Edinburgh. Yeah, horrendous. I don't recommend it at all. Worst decision in my life. 
Now, I didn't really make the decision either. It was kind of made for me because I was in the very unusual and very fortunate position of being invited to the Edinburgh Festival, which already makes it slightly easier than people who are going there to sort of, you know, make, you know, who are paying for themselves yes. to go. I was paid to go and I was getting a wage. And, you know, so it was it was a much more cushy, let's say, situation than, than the Edinburgh Festival is for other people. And even so, I found it incredibly... I, not humiliating, but like demeaning. It's it's not a festival for artists. It's a festival for audiences, and you are just ten a penny, and no one cares about you at all, and you're just disposable. It's kind of like, you know, IKEA for art, and it's just mass produced, and and it's just a horrific feeling. But I went there anyway, and um, I was invited there, and part of the invitation actually there was there was a couple of upsides like part of the invitation was that I got this kind of um, backstage pass to the festival venue that I was performing at which was Underbelly yeah. and that year Caroline Ray you know she yeah, was yeah. Um, Zelda in Sabrina the Teenage Witch she was there and we got very friendly um, just by hanging out together and at the time I was drinking I don't drink anymore I gave up drink about six years ago but mm. at the time we would like I'd, so I'd finished the show mine was an afternoon show and then I'd spend the afternoon wallowing my own sadness and then in the <laughs> evenings I'd meet her and some other comedians but for the most part I used to just I was staying on this um, I was staying in this apartment this beautiful apartment but it was up a load of stairs a winding winding staircase and I wasn't very fit at the time and it was next to um, where the tattoo is so where the Yes. You know, where the, that marching band the military happens tattoo. every night. Yeah. Oh, the military tattoo. And so I'd come home and I'd stop at Lidl and I'd buy a Quattro Formaggio pizza. <laughs> so like four cheese pizza. Pop that into the oven. Blast this song that you're going to hear in a minute, which is like the most sad, wallowing, emo song. Like I could have done better. I could have like eaten a salad and put on some pop music and gotten myself out of my funk. But no, I really like to lean into my emotions. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to eat this whole pizza and I'm going to sit and listen to this sad girl singing a sad song to just reflect how sad I am. And then it's going to get interrupted by marching men shouting to the tune of bagpipes and then really loud planes are going to fly overhead and then I'll go and get drunk with some comedians. <laughs> so that was kind of my summer and it didn't do anything for my cholesterol levels, my waistline, my mental health. It was it was all a pretty dark time that I made darker um, with the help of carbohydrates and sugar and uh, and this song. This song, here. King. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Stephanie, on Edinburgh, can I just ask you about your show? It was the Salpadine show, wasn't it? Yeah. Now that was, it was called Salpadine is My Boyfriend. Yeah, that was a successful show. But you sound like you didn't enjoy it. It was a really successful show, yeah. Yeah, but did you not enjoy doing it? Um, like, I enjoyed the moment, like, while I was performing, but it was very. It's, it wasn't a very cheery show, you know? Like, it was about a girl whose primary relationship becomes one with Salpadine because her boyfriend leaves her. Mm. And, you know, people are coming in to the Edinburgh Festival. Like, I I enjoyed every other performance I ever did of it. But in Edinburgh, people are coming in and they're sitting back in their chair with their arms folded and they're like, right, entertain mm. me, yeah. wow me, be better than the 6,000 other shows that are on. 
and it's just not an atmosphere that you kind of want to be in for too long and I did 30 shows in 31 days wow. and I was just exhausted emotionally physically and I just had too much pizza and Lauren Aquilina King in my head <laughs> and listen but you, you I'm sure I had a day without pizza I know but you went you went you went on from there and then you had huge success when you wrote can't cope won't cope talk a little bit about that yeah. I mean did that naturally happen or did you decide I want to create a, a, a successful TV programme no, um, I I was approached by a producer who asked me, who had seen Salvadine as my boyfriend and asked me if I had any ideas for television. And, you know, I had moved from Cork to Dublin to, and I had a best friend and I, I wanted to kind of write about, I didn't see myself represented on screen. I didn't see female friendships represented the way I had experienced them. And, you know, I wanted to, to write about, I didn't want to hear any more, Dublin Four voices on television so I was like I want to write something Cork people in Dublin and so I wrote it and I think it it touched on something that people were really hungry for at the time it's I I used to talk about it in a very excited way because I I was so proud of it and I enjoyed seeing it so much and I think it was really like a a great piece for it was like a a triumph for me and for the production company and the team and, and for RTE and now, since last year, you know, since we tragically lost Danica McGuigan, who who played the sidekick in it, yeah. I it feels a little strange to talk about it as the kind of in all its glory, I guess, um, because she was too young and it was so tragic. So it's um, yeah, it's kind of a bittersweet moment in time for me now. Yeah, but that's being said, and obviously a lot of people know the McGuigan family and 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 are, are aware of how how dreadful it was. And uh, Barry McGuigan, just for people who don't know, um, being the dad, but it was still for you. It was that huge success, and and yet for someone as a young person who has been so successful in different spheres, I read you saying that you have a success, but then you're automatically wondering, Janie Mac, should I be doing, where do I go next? That you don't have much time to sit back and enjoy your success. Yeah. It's a shame, really. Like, I I am trying to learn how to, because I really hate, I hate the fact that when people say your success, I, I undermine my own successes by being like, oh, well, you know, they're not really... Like, it's just yeah. inelegant to rebut every single, <laughs> you know, compliment that you ever get. But I I have this... I have this thing in me. Uh, maybe it's ambition. Maybe it's like... I don't know what it is, but... Is it a buffer to kind of half protect yourself in case the next one isn't as successful? Um, no. Well, I think if it was the fa- a fear of the next one not being successful, I'd be kind of more happy to be, you know, championing the ones that were actually successes. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I just feel like I do have a fear of, I guess, my, yes, all of the successes being in the past um, and to kind of have been like to be talked about in the past tense. But I also feel like, and it's it's... It's really a bad thing that I'm trying to work on, but I feel like my my ambition pushes happiness onto the horizon of success. So, like, I'm not allowed to be happy until I reach the success, but you're never going to get to the horizon yeah. because there's always another thing, you know? And And I do always struggle with the concept of enough 
like across all of my life like I don't know what is enough I don't know how much you know I'm talking portions I'm talking episodes of watching television I don't know like I'm very bad at knowing okay you've had enough now move on to the next thing or you've had enough enjoy that and be happy with what you have so it's so what, yeah, it's it's an annoying little feature of me. Well, it is when you when you when there is so much success and and you should and I would have thought it's a cork trait not to be not to be behind the fence when it comes to you know saying that's not bad, is it? <laughs> yeah, uh, and 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 I do. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's because well, I'm I I grew up in Cork, but I I guess there's more German in me, yes. and uh, the German in me is like yeah. not enough. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you still have that rage? Are you still getting up at the crack of or before dawn to to start writing? No, no. I'm not. That was madness, wasn't it? Yeah, what was and half like, four? You used to I get really up feel at... annoyed. I used to get up at half four. Yeah, and like poor little Steph like why was like and I feel annoyed because I I talked about that so much and I was so proud of myself for like I saw it as being like a really good little citizen getting up really early and doing her work and and I feel like I contributed to a pattern in society that is really unhealthy where we where we fetishize hard work and busyness and like I am somehow better than you because I get less sleep than you and I am more important than you because I have so much to be doing that I have to get up at 4.30 to do it and it's bull it's not true and like perfectly like I'm understanding perfectly now that we're in quarantine that I don't have to like I'm not that busy I am not that busy and I don't have to pretend to be and I am not more worthy of of, of love or success because I get up early or because I don't have a work-life balance and I realised I guess it was at the start of last year so at the start of 2019 I realised that I was very successful and I was having a lot of career success and things were moving but if I looked at the framework of my life what I what I wanted from my life in the long run like a family and and um, a partner and and all those things that you want for your life you know mm. I was not giving myself any opportunity to to get those things because I was getting up so early going to bed so early not meeting anyone priding myself on the fact that I didn't like meeting new people and and I just thought you're gonna have to get out of your comfort zone if you want to get the things that you ultimately want I don't want to be like you know 60 or 50 years old surrounded by my CVs and magazine covers and books that I've written all by myself you know and so I had to like push myself out of that comfort zone to to get what I ultimately wanted and and that's and that has worked I have you know I'm in a very loving relationship now and I'm very happy but it means that I have to compromise so I have to you know stay in bed try and share a schedule and (laughs) Yeah, like stay in bed or like not be unavailable after 6pm, you yeah. know. Yes. How long did you do that half four routine for? Four years. Wow. Four years. Um, and it was great, you know, it served me. I got my things written and whatever, but I just, I feel like I said it so much that it started to become part of my identity and... And still, you know, like you're asking about it. All interviewers ask about it. And I felt like when I decided to change it, I was like, oh, God, I can't. I'm the girl who gets up at 4.30. If I don't get up at 4.30, who am I? And am I less good? And am I less um, admirable? Or am I less impressive? Am I less impressive if I I sleep for eight hours? (laughs) And that's really dangerous. Oh, that's madness. Have you ambitions for the future? 
you've you've I achieved do have ambitions for the future. Far too much ambition, really. Um, well, so I'm 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 working in the states now. I've been commissioned to write a new TV series by um by a company over there, and we're um on constant Zoom calls um working on that because I can't travel over to LA um as much as I did last year because of this pandemic mm-hmm. um so i want to continue writing i write my weekly column as well but i i don't know i'm starting to feel and maybe it's just fleeting because this political moment that we're in seems so kind of tense and crucial that maybe public service in some way is something that i need to be kind of doing a bit more of so on instagram i do a lot of work with people answering their questions um about at the moment, it's like all the COVID pop payments and whether people, what people should be getting. I'm basically like the, yeah. <laughs> I'm like the minister for social protection. <laughs> um, but I, I, I do a weekly Instagram thing where I make the news accessible to people. Um, and I answer people's questions about politics and the government and did a lot of work around the election because I feel like the best version of me I can be is like a good citizen who helps other people. And I'm at my best when I'm kind of focused on other people. So I do have ambitions to like get more into that, whether it's through television or my my writing for the papers. That mm. could be a thing. But my my TV writing has certainly become more. I guess Can't Go Punk Up was old, also social commentary where I was commenting on female friendships. But um, the work in the States, because the the political climate in the US is so potent right now. Um, my screenwriting is definitely becoming more engaged in that regard as well. Are you enjoying my it? Ambitions for th- Are you in the interaction with the Americans? Yeah, I am. I'm working with an amazing producer right now. She is so smart and so intelligent. And I feel like even if, you know, the show goes nowhere, I'm learning so much from her. And I love, I just love having a mentor. I love grown-ups. I love having like people older and more experienced than me to tell me what to do I guess it's going back to these rules isn't it it's like having a primary school teacher in all of my life Um, so yeah I'm loving working with the Americans they're great and I have a great um, team over there my my agent and stuff is over there and yeah they're very kind and they're very friendly and it's just a joy to work with them well, I wish you continued success, Steph. You've 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 had a lot of it, and enjoy it as you go along. But to to help us enjoy it, I will. Do. I, I love your last musical choice. Tell us about it, Jessie's Girl. Um, oh, Jessie's Girl, Rick Springfield. <laughs> so I had this summer. I have such brilliant friends, and I haven't seen them in so long because of this virus. Anyway, um, I spent a summer, um, with my friend Deirdre driving around Mallow. So Mallow is the perfect town for driving in circles. And we have this um, thing that we used to call an MSTT, a mandatory spin through town. So <laughs> we drive in a circle around the town and then do an MSTT, which dissected the town. And at the time we were both single and we both decided we wanted to be in a relationship with guards. So we would drive, we would drive around Mallow Town, listening to Rick Springfield, Jesse's Girl, trying to make members of Ungarn Siakona fall in love with us. <laughs> so like, we would just kind of stalk them. And I'm, I don't know how we didn't get in trouble, but because Mallow's a small town, it's the same guards all the time. And we'd just end up being where they were. Like we knew when they got their diesel, when they were changing shifts. And oh, someone would be like getting dinner. <laughs> just be like hi waving at these guards and I see them now when I'm down there and 
they're all married and they have babies and I'm sure they know well what we were up to but it was just a brilliant summer of fun and that song anytime it comes on now I'm like oh cringe that summer that I tried to get guards to fall in love with me lovely way to finish Stephanie Fraser thanks a million for joining us thanks so much Des Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1